Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Today we're going to talk uh, about something called hospitality. And I'm wondering if you have ever um, really experienced what true hospitality looks like. And to really understand what true hospitality is, let's get a quick definition, good old Webster's Dictionary definition of what hospitality is. It says it's the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Now, I would say that they missed out. That I, I don't think it's just the friendly and re- reception of people you don't know. I think it's also hospitality is bringing people in. That I, I, I have to say, I think and hospitality is one of those things that's kind of falling by the wayside in our culture. Um, a couple times where I, that I remember a, a generous, hospitality hospitable spirit um, in my life. There was just this, a couple weeks ago, Chris and me were up in the UP um, doing a little trip away, which was awesome, and we were up there, and we're driving between Marquette and Munising. And as we're driving this, this about 40-minute drive or whatever, as we're driving, I'm reminded of this bike ride that I did with a group of youth pastor friends of mine. Every year, we would go, and we'd ride like 50 miles a day, uh, for five days, raising money for missionaries. And one of the times, we did a 100-mile day. And, and part of that 100-mile ride was from Marquette to Munising. And so as I'm doing this drive, I'm remembering that ride. And about 60 miles into the ride that day, one of my buddies, he was on a bike that was a little bit older, and his, his bike went haywire. We're not talking like a flat tire. We're talking like equipment failure to the max. We didn't, I ride bikes. I have no clue how to fix them. I don't know how to fix anything in life. And so it's broken. I'm like, dude, you're going to like die here. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I tell, we got 40 miles left in the ride. And so I, I told the guys, hey guys, why don't I, I'm just going to book it on the bike for the next 40 miles, get to our car so I can come back and I'll pick him up. And one of my buddies is like, well, I'll go with you. I'm like, I'm too fast for you. Stop. And so... So I, I got into like my hero mode complex where I'm like, I'm riding my bike. I'm like, Kellen, you got to go. This is about a man's life right here we're talking about. You got to get back to him. And you think I'm joking. Like this, this is what I do, okay? And I'm, I'm going down the road. I'm in the car and I, I get my bike in the, in the trailer and I, I get out and I'm, I'm going down the road. I'm figuring about 40 miles down the road. I'm going to see my buddy on, on his, or like walking his bike. And I get to maybe, I don't know, 25 miles in, and all of a sudden I see him riding on the side of the road. I'm like, what's, what's going on? That thing was broken. So I get him in the car, and he tells me, well, I, I met a guy. I'm like, well, that's a scary scenario. This guy stopped and saw that he, his bike was broken, and he's like, hey, my house is just, just not even a mile away. I pretty much have a bike shop in my garage. Why don't I take you there? Now, this could be a good story or it could be the, the horrible ending to his life, right? Like, this could be a podcast waiting to be made. Well, a guy takes him in for no charge whatsoever. He fixed up his bike, probably put new parts on, on the bike and everything, and sent him on his way. That, to me, was true hospitality. A guy taking, uh, taking a guy who was a stranger, entertaining him, give, taking care of his needs when nobody else could. 
Uh, last summer, I, I remember we were going back from Colorado, me and some of the guys in the, in the church here, and we got in this big storm. I've talked about it, this huge storm where, that, like, we're terrified, and we're out in Nebraska somewhere, and my, my brother-in-law's with us, and he calls up a guy that he knows who lives, like, five miles away, and the guy, like, we're talking midnight, some really late time. Guy lets us come to his house, six strangers. Not only that, he feeds us food. And he's like being super generous. He had a weight room that was better than my college weight room. And I was like, dude, this is awesome. I want to just lift, but I don't lift. So I didn't. Um, I know that's shocking, okay? But I love people with hospitable spirits like that. But again, like I said, in our culture today, I don't think that that is kind of the, the, the breed in our society right now. Like, we're not bred for hospitality anymore. Uh, I was talking to a friend just uh, a week ago. He was telling me about, he was living down in Houston when there was some really bad flooding. And it happened to be the time where his wife was going into labor with their second child. And so he and his wife were at the hospital. And his kid and his, his mother-in-law were back at their home. And he's literally looking on his feet in a city not very far away. And he's like, hey, can I, can I send my, my mother-in-law and my daughter to your house just to, to stay? The floodwaters are coming up. And his friend was like, yeah, let me, let me talk, talk to my wife, whatever. And, they, and he called back and he's like, you know, we're, we're just not really comfortable with people coming and staying at our house, but we'll, we'll pay for, for them to come and get a hotel here. And I'll be honest, my brother-in-law are in crisis. Where's the hospitable spirit? Where's taking somebody in when it needs to be done? <clears throat> Truth is, along the way, I think we've lost that, that spirit of hospitality. We've gotten busier and busier as a society. And we've actually focused more on taking care of things in our own lives rather than taking care and helping other people. And so we welcome people into our home and into our lives less and less. And while we are so busy, what's happening is we're really, really busy, but we're not really developing relationships all that well. We're busy in all kinds of stuff, but we're struggling to, to form relationships where needs are being met. But being there for people is, is something that Jesus and, and the writers in the New Testament, they were adamant about this. Like we are called to be people who are there for other people, who are there for people when they are in need. And Romans 12, what we've been doing here is we've been talking about rethinking, rethinking ways that we think in our lives. And, and I think one of the things that, that Paul wants us to rethink on in Romans chapter 12 here is he wants us to rethink how we think about hospitality. And so we're going to take a look at two verses. Um, and I'll be honest with you. This one is some of what I'm about to say right here. I'm preaching to myself probably as much as I'm preaching to anybody because this is a tough one for me. Um, the introvert in me wants to just be by myself sometimes. But I think Paul's calling us to hospitality. So I want you to take a look with, this, with me at this. Uh, this is Romans chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. It says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Let me pray real quick. Lord, I pray that any ways that we're kind of closed off to the idea of hospitality and sharing with people in need and blessing those who, who, who are tough for us, God, I pray that today you'd break down some walls in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I want to be up front here and say I think that there's actually a break here between verses 13 and 14. I put them together for this passage because I think they go together well. But in verse 13, you see that Paul's actually talking about how we deal with people who are other believers, other Christians. But then you see in verse 14, he gets to talking about anybody, not just Christians. It's how we treat everybody. And so I think it does, these do go together pretty well. Um, and when the NIV translation calls on us to share with those in need, the Greek word that's being translated here is often actually translated as fellowship. And the Greek word that's used there is one that a lot of us have probably actually heard at some point. It's this Greek word called koinonia. He's saying that we are supposed to fellowship with the Lord's people in need. But can I be honest with you? That sounds weird to me. Like, what good does it do somebody else who's in need for me to fellowship with them? Doesn't make sense. Because our idea of fellowship is actually more of a social thing. How we talk to people, getting along with people, being happy. It means that there's food around. Because you can't have fellowship without food, right? That in our mind is fellowship. And actually, every time I think about fellowship, it actually brings me back to when I was about 10 years old, my family, we went up to Lake Superior for a day and we brought a family friend of ours. And I was, so I was like 10 years old and I remember this as clear as day. We're, we're hanging out doing the typical fellowship thing, whatever. But we start kind of ripping on him a little bit and, and get, joking with him and stuff. And he just kind of throws out there, hey guys, I thought this was supposed to be fellowship, not rip ship. Because we were ripping on him. And I was like, I like that. And so we, our family has used that from like that day forward. But fellowship, we, we don't, I don't know if we have a co completely correct context of what this koinonia fellowship is actually about. It's not just a social thing about talking with people and there being joy and there being laughter and, and getting along. It's actually about belonging. Fellowship in terms of this koinonia fellowship, it's about belonging. It's about belonging to something or, or to someone. And so I think one of the best illustrations of fellowship that, that's been put out there, it's uh, by a guy, a guy named Jim Kirkland. And he said that fellowship is best described as the unity of sailors on a ship. Where all these sailors, they know exactly what everybody else is supposed to be doing. So that if one person goes down or there's a need somewhere, they, somebody else can step in. They can fill that need that was, that's being lost by the person who is sick or whatever. And in this context, believers have a unity of understanding so that they share their possessions with each other. A believer had a need, and so other believers would step in to fellowship in that need. That is what this koinonia fellowship is supposed to be like. Fellowship is really about us belonging to another group of people. It's about knowing what their needs are and them knowing what your needs are. That you're in every bit of this together. And I think this understanding of fellowship needs, we need to rethink how we're meeting other people's needs. Am I meeting other people's needs in life? Am I in a, in a context of relationships where needs are being met on a consistent basis? See, there's so many needs around all of us. And it, it, is, it is totally normal, it is totally typical for us to concentrate on our needs first and on the needs of our family. And I'm not even saying that's wrong, okay? Uh, you should probably take care of your family. But there are other people out there with needs that God's calling us to a certain kind of hospitality. 
I'd even go so far as to say it is a spiritual discipline to learn to take our eyes off of ourselves and our needs only and to start to focus on the needs of other people. And you might look at that and be like, I don't know if you can call that a spiritual discipline, Kellen. The spiritual disciplines are obviously only Bible reading and prayer and maybe uh, something else, I don't know. But we don't, we don't think of fellowship with other people as, I keep, I keep kicking my communion cups. I'm just going to kick them under here for a little while, guys. We think of fellowship as just a thing that we do. We don't think of it really as a spiritual discipline. Learning another group of people so well that we're close-knit, that we're able to take care of each other's needs. I want to say I think that's actually a spiritual discipline for us. It's a really important part of our spiritual health. And I think it's way more important in our walk of faith than most of us give, give credit to. So I actually believe, I think, connecting at church with others is actually as much, if not more, important as hearing the message. And some of you are like, I just, I can't believe you just said that. Me coming and connecting with people, you think that's just, I'm not saying that because I think I'm an awful preacher. I'm saying it because I think it's true. I think the connection that we have with other believers and understanding true fellowship is so important to our spiritual. Here's something that will spiritually inspire them for the next week and then walk out the door with ever having to really engage with another human being. I got to say, that's not fellowship. That is not sharing in the needs of other people. That's not getting to know somebody so well that they know your needs and you know theirs. And in fact, I kind of hate to say this, but it's actually a pretty self-focused brand of Christianity if that's what we're doing. You can read this on the screen. I think Christianity done alone doesn't actually look like the New Testament Christianity. It might be more accurately considered a sort of New Age Christianity. If we're doing things alone, that's not the way that the Bible has called us to do it. I'm not saying that you need to come to church and you need to talk with everybody around you. Some of us aren't that way. Okay. Believe me, that's not even my typical nature most of the time. Uh, As a pastor, I have to try to talk to as many people. There are mornings I come in here, I'm like, man, can I just sit on a chair? (laughs) Right? It doesn't even mean that we have to be people that are involved in a small group. Not all of us are small group people, but there has to be a koinonia fellowship that takes place in our lives somewhere. And if it doesn't, I'm telling you, we are spiritually going to be lacking something. There's going to be a a lack of health somewhere. So what what does this koinonia fellowship actually look like? It's It's a relationship, it's a fellowship where you become known, where others become known to you. Let's be real. How many people really know you on, the, on a deep level? You know, we, we always go around, we talk to people, and we're like, hey, how you doing? And the response every time is just, I'm good, even though you're not. And, and half the time we say that, we're not good. But the truth is we don't want to get into it all the time because that person isn't something that I feel like I can connect with. And so we just need a fellowship where the, where the question, how are you doing, doesn't even have to be asked. Because those people know that you're going to work every day with a boss that you can't stand, that for the last three months has been trying to do everything to make you quit. Those people know that you're struggling financially on such a level that when it comes down to it, 
if they want to hang out with you, which is the only not going to ask you maybe to go play a real round of golf because it costs a few dollars, so they'll ask you to go play disc golf, which is the only reason why I play disc golf, because it's free, all right? Or maybe instead of asking you out to go out to dinner where they know you might have to pay some money, they ask you to come over to their house for dinner. That's real koinonia fellowship where people know you so well. Or maybe you know the question for them is not, hey, how you doing? The question is, hey, how's your child doing? Because you know that things have been so rough at home with their kid that if, if you can get the answer to that, you're going to know how they are doing as well. That's what koinonia fellowship looks like. Knowing each other so well like that. That's real fellowship. It's real relationship. Being known by others and letting others actually know you. So here's what I think we, we should just take a minute and think about this for a minute. If you feel like your needs are not being met, there is a good chance that you're not experiencing koinonia. If you feel like there are not people in your life that, that are meeting your personal needs, uh, you're probably not experiencing that kind of koinonia fellowship. I think everybody wants and desires that kind of relationship. Even if it's, I just need one person that knows me like that. Some of you are extroverts, and you're like, I want the whole world to know me like that. I don't get you guys, all right? But most of us, we need at least somebody that knows us that way. But koinonia is not something that just happens by chance. I think it takes three things in particular. It takes time, it takes effort, and it takes vulnerability. Time, effort, and vulnerability. This kind of fellowship, it requires a hospitable spirit in us. A spirit where you actually receive others generously into your life. Even at times when you don't necessarily want to receive people generously into your life. And that kind of hospitable spirit, it goes outside the norms of our culture today. We haven't even gotten in, into the second part of verse 13 that talks about practicing hospitality. That's what we're about to get into right now, though, okay? Practice hospitality is the, this, the, the second part of this verse 13 that, that Paul gets into. And I want to read something that a commentator named Douglas Moo writes about what, what Paul's writing here. He's badly needed in a day time hotels and restaurants. Traveling missionaries and ordinary believers depended on the kindness of Christians. While the NIV does not make this clear, the Greek calls on believers not to just show, perhaps grudgingly, hospitality to others, but to pursue it. I love what he's saying there. We are not to just kind of grudgingly be hospitable with people. He's saying, if you want to be right spiritually, you have to pursue hospitality. That's different than the way I think about it. I don't think about necessarily pursuing hospitality. And this might be a hard thing for us to hear, but if your needs aren't being met by the people around you, those people may not fully be to blame for it. We have this tendency that, man, if my friends aren't, aren't attending to my needs the way that I feel like, like they should, that it's their fault. But the truth is, like Paul's saying here, I, my responsibility first is to pursue Sharing my needs with other people. It's to pursue hospitality with other people. And so if those needs aren't being met in my life, maybe it's because I'm not pursuing meeting other people's needs. Because what happens is, is when I pursue meeting other people's needs, a transformation takes place. And it's a transformation that is relationship growth as I pursue other people. 
So how can I incorporate hospitality into my everyday life? See, hospitality and, and koinonia fellowship, again, they take time, they take effort, they take vulnerability. But out of that grows something deeper. Now, I think time and effort, that, I don't think it's always enough to just give time and effort into relationships. I think the thing that we forget a lot about most of the time is actually the vulnerability piece. Unless we become vulnerable, relationship doesn't really happen. That story of two sisters, Mary and Martha, where they approach Jesus in a very different way. And I want you to see the difference in how they approach Jesus and how different it is in their outcome of what Jesus has to offer them. It says in Luke chapter 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now Martha is doing a very hospitable thing in our eyes. She's opening her home to Jesus. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I love how he says that she was distracted by all the preparations. She was doing all the dishes, she was doing all the cleaning, but it was a distraction. We say that as, that's serving, that's hospitality. And then it says, she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me out. She is whining like a little tiny child. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Okay, he just said, only one thing is needed. I don't need you to go and clean the dishes and to make me a meal. There's really one thing that's needed, and it's the vulnerability piece. He says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and became vulnerable with him. Hearing the stories from Jesus, sharing her life in that close encounter, while Martha was doing the thing that most of us feel comfortable doing, which is going from afar and serving and giving our time and effort, but not really being vulnerable. How many times do we come into church and we're like, man, I'm giving my time and effort. I'm coming to church. I'm doing the right thing. But the truth is, is maybe we don't actually enter into that vulnerable stage at any point. If we're going to have koinonia fellowship, koinonia relationship, there has to be a point of vulnerability somewhere along the way. So how can I be hospitable at church? Maybe you take the time and effort to go to church, but you got to get vulnerable. And so maybe what that looks like is sit somewhere different than where you've sat for the last 13 years. Now, I know we've only been in this, in this building for like, you know, nine months, so you haven't probably gotten those spots. But sit, sit by somebody different. Maybe you don't have to go to a whole new section of the, the building here but just like a couple spots over. Weeks ago, you step out of your comfort zone, you encourage somebody. Just a random encouragement. Maybe it hits, maybe it doesn't hit. I talked about it at, at our CYJ house group recently. Maybe you just go up to a kid and you say, dude, you got cool shoes, and see where it leads. Everybody likes to be told their shoes are cool. I'm, I, I gotta be honest with you. I gotta, I'm a little frustrated this morning because um, there's a, a girl in our church, a teenager. She has a running list going of who has the coolest shoes every Sunday morning during our prayer time. It's, it's the coolest thing. And, and I'm, I'm, I think I've spent more money on shoes this year than I should because I'm trying to win that once in a while. I found these sweet Under Armour shoes for 25 bucks this week and they, they look fly, I'm telling you. They look great. And I texted her, I'm like, hey, there's no way I'm not winning the best shoe award this morning. And she gave it to Sydney with her black Chuck All-Stars on. And I'm just, I'm livid a little bit, but 
Uh, I think I will get over it. Um, but encourage somebody. Step out of your comfort zone. Encourage somebody. That little bit of vulnerability of saying, hey, I'm stepping out to talk to you. That's, that's what's needed if we're going to get to that place of koinonia fellowship. Koinonia fellowship and hospitality are about building relationship and loving others with your time, your effort, and your vulnerability. And the thing is, we all need that koinonia fellowship in our lives. We have to have it. If we practice real hospitality with others, the chances that that koinonia fellowship grows, grows. So let's go after it. Now, we haven't talked about verse 14 yet, and you're already thinking, Kellen, you spent a lot of time in verse 13. I know. I'm not going to spend as much time on verse 14, but here it is. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So now I've got to think, why did Paul put this verse where he did? Why did he put it right after verse 13 where he's talking about how to be hospitable with other believers, share with those who are in need, other believers? It's because I and I go, oh, sweet. I only have to share a need with those who are believers. I can ignore everybody else. And then he throws verse 14 in here and he's like, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. He's like, Kellen, if you want to find a loophole here, you're not going to find it. There is no loophole here in terms of hospitality. You're going to do this for everybody because it's the right way. Now, I live in a world of homeschool. And I am also a pastor. So you know what that means? I could never be around a Christian my entire life if I chose to. I, it, there's just, that's the life I live. And so I have to kind of go extra hard to find people who are unchurched and to be friends with them. That's why I love sports for kids. Because it's a, a natural place where I get to be around some people who are unchurched. It's why I love our kids' midweek ministry during the school year. Instead of us expecting kids, families to bring their kids into a church, we go out and we, we give church to them. We bring it to them. <clears throat> but I want to go a step further here. I don't think Paul's just saying that we're supposed to be hospitable to a select group of people outside the church. What is his implication actually in this verse? His implication is, it's not just to your fellow churchgoer, that you're supposed to bless and be hospitable to. It's not just the neighbor that you like. It's not just your, your kid's teacher at school. He says to go out and bless the person who is making your life the most difficult. Bless and do not curse that person who persecutes you, who makes life awful. When you're driving your car this, this week and that person cuts you off, instead of doing... The cursing thing, which I've never done, at least not this morning. Um, instead of doing the cursing thing, what about uttering a, a, a small silent prayer underneath your breath? I want you to think about how much would that change the way that you are hospitable towards people on your everyday, just in an everyday basis. If the people like that, that you normally would want to curse, you take the time to bless instead. There are times where when I'm really being a good Christian on a certain day, I walk by somebody and like, maybe they have a mad face on and I'm like, oh Lord, bless them, help, whatever's going on, help. It doesn't happen in my mind for the rest of the people to be hospitable towards the people that I see when I choose to bless rather than curse. So here's what we, we need to rethink this week when it comes to this hospitality. We need to rethink our attitudes towards people that we've decided we don't need to share our lives with. Bless instead of curse. Welcome instead of shun. 
in that moment where you say that that person doesn't need a good version of you, remind yourself that Jesus gave his best version of you at your very worst. He didn't go to a cross to die just for you and your church family and your friends. Jesus went to the cross to die for the very people that put him up on that cross. Maybe you got somebody in your life that you've let go of. Here's the deal. Some of you have walked away from relationships where you have been abused. That is a totally normal and totally healthy thing. I don't want to, in what I'm about to say, I don't want you to think that I'm telling you to not protect yourself. We know what those relationships are that we've had to walk away from because of past abuse. To protect yourself or to protect people close to you. But I will say this. I think there are some relationships that we've let go of, not for our protection, but more for our convenience. I know there's relationships in my life that I've let go of for convenience sake and not for protection sake. And I think Jesus is trying to get me to realize I'm supposed to bless instead of curse. It's not an easy thing. What does this look like in our lives? Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 6. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Temptation is always going to be there for us to strike back, for us to get what's fair. That's just a natural human inclination. But loving people with hospitality, even when it's hard for us, that is loving people like Jesus loves us. I am not saying that all of our relationships should be difficult. We all need koinonia relationships in our lives. If you are not experiencing koinonia relationship, fellowship, where somebody knows your needs and you know those person's needs and you guys help each other, if you're not experiencing that, you need that. And the truth is, if you aren't experiencing that, you're probably not going to get to the place where you're able to bless people who persecute you very well. Because we need people helping us by giving us life. But maybe, maybe if you're not experiencing that, instead of being worried about how your needs aren't being met, maybe we change for even a couple weeks, change the mindset and say, you know what, I'm going to be a life giver to somebody else. I'm going to give life to somebody else. I am going to bless rather than persecute, rather than curse. I'm going to love even when there's no love being given back to me. And I wonder how much that's going to change the kind of needs that end up getting met in our own lives. Oftentimes, people who choose to go and reach out to the needs of other people, they find that their needs get blessed in return. So that's what I'm calling us to do this week. Go after koinonia relationship. Pursue hospitality. Maybe there's somebody that's been on your brain that you know you've been, you're supposed to call and invite them over to dinner and you just don't do it because you don't want to do it. I tell you what, every time it happens though, Every time I hang out with somebody and enter into that kind of koinonia friendship, I go, man, I'm glad I did it. Like, I didn't, I didn't want to, but I'm glad I did. We need that. We need to pursue hospitality. We need to be willing to be, sometimes be the life giver in some relationships until that person sees and knows Jesus in a way that begins to give them life everlasting. There are people in your life that they've got no, no one given life into them. They don't know Jesus. Can we be that life giver this week? 
I think these two verses that we've been talking about this morning, they really, they really talk about how we treat people. And how we treat people is a reflection of how we understand how Jesus has treated us. So let's start to rethink how we can begin to practice hospitality more regularly. Who can you bring into your life and how? How can you bring them into your life in, a, in an intentional way rather than just waiting for it to happen? We wait for koinonia to happen. It's got to be pursued. That's what Paul's trying to get at. We've got to, do you have both of these kinds of relationships working in your life? Do you find koinonia relationship? in your life, where your needs are being met, where you're meeting other needs. But then on the flip side of it, it's like the flip side of the same coin. Are you sometimes in some relationships the life giver? Do you have people in your life, maybe they don't have Jesus at all, and you are the person who can give them that kind of life. Show them who Jesus is. We need both of these things. So let's join together and let's ask God to, to, to reframe our minds and how we think about hospitality this week. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.